It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko, along with your other host, James Rapine. Today, we focused the start of the show by talking about the news of the day. It came out late last night, really after we recorded the episode for Tuesday, and that's that Luana Rumo reportedly will be sticking around for the Cincinnati Bengals. Nothing officially announced yet, but James reported it over at allbengals.com. You heard it from Dave Lapham and Dan Horde on 700 WLW on Monday night. Lou Anarumo and Brian Callahan expected to return. There were some questions about both of those guys, and it looks like they'll both be back. So we're going to start by looking at Lou Anarumo's return to the Bengals and what that means, whether it's a good decision based on what we know. And then we're going to get into a mailbag. The first question in that mailbag also has to do with coaching before we get into some other questions. A lot of you are really curious about the candidates to succeed Jim Turner as offensive line coach. And while we're on the topic of Jim Turner, James, just before we get into Lou Anarumo, did you see the note today that said that the Bengals and Jim Turner parting ways was as mutual as it was a firing? That came from Paul Daner Jr.'s piece on The Athletic. I did not see that. And that sounds good. I think it sounds like damage control to me, but uh, that, that would be interesting. But but what's the damage control there, right? Like what's the narrative you're trying to spin? Unless that's coming from Turner's camp, which it very well could be. If you're the Bengals, I think saying that we're moving on from Jim Turner is like one of your few PR wins in this coaching news cycle. Sure. You know, and I think it would be coming from Turner's camp. I think Turner right now, look, the, the verdict is in whether it was Elise's report, Elise Jesse's report earlier about, uh, you know, a month or two ago about the culture and specific stories about Jim Turner just really having issues with players to Dave Lapham the other night talking about, yeah, that was his problem. He ran things like like a Marine you would think run, like he would run them that way and treat players. He, and, and he was using this as an analogy, but he was like, you can treat players like dogs sometimes, but you can't do it all the time. And today's players don't respond well to that. And I think that was kind of how Turner did things. And I think he clearly had favorites. And so, yeah, I think he's he does need to do some damage control here if he's going to secure another job, offensive line coaching job, not just in the NFL, but in the college ranks. I think it's going to be tough for him. He does seem to keep finding jobs. And you know what? I'm just going to say it. I, I'm grateful that I don't really need to track it anymore. I am very well on record in saying that I never liked the hire of Jim Turner and the record speaks for itself. He has not produced a high quality NFL offensive line really at any point. And I guess the one thing you credit him for in his time in Cincinnati is the run game has at times found ways to adapt and be successful. They've found some ways to use their offensive linemen's strengths where they exist. And and that was most evident in the little tackle pool play, uh, the tackle fold play where the tackle pulls around the guard and goes 
through the B gap to go get the linebacker. That was one of their most successful running plays this year. I'm not sure if that was Turner's design or somebody else, but as far as I know, he was in charge of the run game. So I would credit him for that play. And the book on Jim Turner is closed. We'll talk about the future coming up in the mailbag at the offensive line coach position. But let's get started with the Lou Anarumo stuff. This is another coaching hire that I didn't really love. And honestly, when the reports were suggesting and the whispers and rumors were suggesting that the Bengals were going to move on from Lou Anarumo, whose defense has not been good for two straight years, I thought that was the right thing to do. It turns out that they will instead be keeping Lou Anarumo and For me, I was hoping that all those Miami ties essentially would be off the team. I I was very uncertain about why they brought so many pieces from a Miami organization that wasn't very good at the time, along with Zach Taylor, outside of the fact that they just knew each other. But Lou's coming back, and there is an argument that the Bengals organizationally are flawed. And so you can't really make an assessment of whether coaches are good or bad. I got into that with Matt Minnick today on Twitter. It's essentially a nihilism argument that the the Bengals organization is so flawed that nothing else matters until they fix the top. But I I don't buy that really. I, I think that you can see pretty clearly that Lou Anarumo, not necessarily the best defensive coordinator in the NFL and the results Injuries aside, I think speak for themselves, but he will be back and he has, I think, a big task ahead of him. The part of this that I hate, and you're right, he's got a big task ahead of him. I don't really, it's really hard for me to see the path. We were talking about this before we started recording to where Lou Anarumo switches things and flips the gear and Bengals fans suddenly look at him as a good defensive coordinator. But there was a lot of outrage, um, obviously, when, when the Lou Anarumo decision was announced and it hasn't officially been announced, but when I I tweeted out that article and I get it, I do, but are we sure? Are we sure that Zach Taylor deserves a third year more than Anna Rumo? Like, cause I felt like there was way more outrage about Anna Rumo than there was about Taylor. And I know it seemed like a foregone conclusion that Taylor was back. And maybe that's it is people just expected in the surprise of Anna Rumo coming back but but ultimately, and I asked Zach this, and this might have been it. One, we don't know if, if Anna Rumo's under contract for a third season. We know how the Bengals operate. That is a factor. Two, will any coach, any remotely qualified defensive coordinator not na- named Greg Williams, and there's for obvious reasons why you want to hire Greg Williams, and who knows if he would even want to come to a, a lame duck situation where Zach Taylor, 625 and one, he needs to win right away or he could be out. The The coach in waiting is probably on the staff and Darren Simmons as far as an interim basis is concerned. Any qualified defensive coordinators want that gig? So it could have been a couple things here of why they kept Anarumo. And I'm not defending it because if it was me, they'd be searching for a whole new staff right now. and We'd be talking about a coaching search. But but that that's where, what I come back to. And, and so – is is that crazy? What, what do you what do you think about that? Because obviously you weren't a fan of them bringing him back. I think that probably p- plays a role in it. Like maybe they were waiting to see what would happen with some guys. Like they were they were targeting some guys they thought might be available for the defensive coordinator job, and maybe they heard back that those guys weren't available or or weren't interested. Perhaps to to the uh, to the argument you were making about you know how attractive is this job to. Def- 
two defensive coordinators. Mm-hmm. You know, you got DJ Reader. You have the opportunity to make your own team a little bit there with with some free agents, a lot of free agents at important positions, a, a lot of vacancies. Maybe not a lot. Two two crucial ones though, to be sure, and maybe three if Geno Atkins is done. But you know, it could be just a. Are we going to do any better? If if Zach's the guy and he's stumping for this DC and we're going to give Zach another year, well, we might as well bring the DC back too. And and if they're the guys, great. It'll work out. We'll look like geniuses. If they're not the guys, well, we we did a 1990s. We did a Dave Shula. And and now we've wasted a year. And, and that's the worst case scenario, right? We have no idea which way it's going to go. I personally am not even ready to say which way I think it's going to go, at least to the extent that, you know, when we were talking before the show that you are, but I, I just today, and I will gladly eat crow on this. If we turn out to be wrong, I don't think that keeping Lou Anaruma was the right move. And I'm, I'm pretty biased because I didn't think hiring him was the right move in the first place. I don't think keeping it was the right move, but I certainly hope that he figures it out. I hope that he figures out a pass rush. You know, I, I hope that he can figure out some consistency and coverage because if there's anywhere where they have been good, it has been in the back unit in the secondary. And that's what his expertise is. So, you know, you hope that they figure it out. But I mean, how much are we talking about hope as a plan here? Again, we did it with the offensive line last year. We're going to be doing it with the defense. Like, is that going to be this year's thing? Last year, we knew the offensive line was going to be an issue. We're repeating that mistake on defense. And that's the problem with this whole coaching staff. Outside of maybe a few guys that we don't know about is you're talking about a defensive coordinator that didn't and was not aligned with the front office when it came to Carlos Dunlap, right? You're talking about a guy who couldn't generate a pass rush, didn't use Dunlap the right way, struggled there. Zach Taylor has struggled to utilize all the weapons that they gave him. Like, it's just, there's so many things. And at some point, they just got to go out and either do it or not. And they're giving him a third year. I think we have the answer. Like, I, I do. Now, that doesn't mean that Joe Burrow can't heal up and the Bengals can't address the offensive line and add a playmaker or two and go win nine games next year. Because I think Joe Burrow, if anyone can overcome a bad head coach, it's him. If anyone can overcome a bad defense, it's him. But... I agree with you. It's, it was a bad decision and whether or not it pays off and it, it, we don't know, but that's, I get why Bengals fans are frustrated, but it all comes back to Zach Taylor and his, his loyalty, I guess, to, to some of the, the, the coaches that he coached with back in Miami and, and that he brought along for the ride back in 2019. This is David Harrison of the Locked On Commanders podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Discover. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Coming up next, we will take a dive into the fans' questions. James, they sent us a bunch of questions at the Lockdown Bengals Twitter account. That's where the questions go every week, so that is coming up next. This episode is brought to you by 1010. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. 
Using only diamonds responsibly and sustainably sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful diamond ring. They launch exclusively on January 18th at BlueNile.com. This exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings launches on January 18th. And again, you can preview it exclusively at BlueNile.com. It's our favorite time of the week here on the Lockdown Bengals podcast. It is the midweek mailbag programming note. We are going to move this back to the weekend starting next week as we get away from the regular season. During the season, we position this as an episode that we record on Tuesdays because there is no press availability from the Bengals on Tuesday. That is their off day. And so we kept that day open for questions. Now that we are in the offseason, we have no no such restrictions, no games to preview or anything like that. So this will be moving starting next week. We're going to start, James, with a series of questions about the future of the offensive line coach. Vacancy in Cincinnati, three different people at least asked this question. And I'm going to read the names here. It's Warrior Nate 99, Moneybags Mike Brown at Halftime Marv's, and Kyle at Bengals Junkie. And they're all asking essentially the same question. Who will be the future offensive line coach in Cincinnati? Will it be Ben Martin since the Bengals kept him at offensive line coach? Will it be, you know, the Scott Peters guy that, that Dave Lapham's talking about, the assistant to Bill Callahan up in Cleveland? Obviously, they're having a great year in Cleveland on the offensive line, and Brian can ask his dad, Bill, all about Scott Peters if, if they need any amount of information. That, that's got to be a connection that means something. Anybody else stand out as, as a likely candidate? Frank Pollock, the return of Frank potentially, right? I mean, the Jets, who knows what happens with them? Obviously, Adam Gase out there, so he could be relocating cities. But uh, let's first, let's start with Ben Martin. I don't think he's going to be promoted to offensive line coach. I think he's going to stick around as the assistant. As far as who replaces Jim Turner, I I think it's interesting, the, the idea of Scott Peters. You know, you're talking about a guy that played in the league. He's obviously known for that hand-to-hand combat stuff. I saw some YouTube videos. I didn't even know. I'm not even going to pretend like I was familiar with him until Lapham said his name. And then I heard about some of these martial arts and hand fighting videos that he put up on YouTube uh, over the years. And then obviously this year coaching alongside Bill Callahan. So sure. Would I talk to him? Absolutely. Maybe he has uh, a bigger part to that development of the the Browns offensive line that went from zero in 2019 to a pretty good unit. And obviously they invested in it, but a pretty good unit in 2020. But I got to put one thing to bed, Jake. Bill Callahan cannot just abandon Cleveland. And come to Cincinnati. That That is not, I mean, unless you want to offer him the, the offensive coordinator position, <laughs> he can't do that. He's not going to do that. He's under contract. There's no way he signed a one-year deal in Cleveland. They're not going to let him out of his contract and make a linear move uh, to, to go to a division rival. So it's not happened. The Bill Callahan to the Bengals stuff, I don't think firing his son is going to get it done either. So, you know, fi- let's fire Brian and hire Bill. Well, that's not going to work either. So. That's not happening. I'll put that to bed real quick because I've gotten a lot of that. I'm not sure about you, but I've gotten a lot of that. I've gotten some of it. Uh, I wasn't sure at first because I think the rules changed. I think that teams can no longer block position coaches from coordinator jobs, and that was the change. And that that's what you're alluding to when you say you can make them the offensive coordinator, and that's the only way you could do it. You can't do it with an assistant head coach 
title. I think that it was only for coordinators. And so they missed their opportunity and it lacked foresight. They had a chance to bring him in last off season and they didn't do it. And it went exactly how we thought it would. And Darren Simmons is the assistant head coach. So he has that title too. So even if you could go that route, good luck telling Darren Simmons that he's being demoted. Well, and I don't know if you can have two or not. So I, I asked that question when this first came up. I don't know if you're allowed to have two assistant head coaches, but regardless, it's a moot point. It cannot happen. They missed that opportunity. I really like the idea of Scott Peters, though, with with some of the hype that I've seen with those YouTube videos. I mean, look, if the guy can be a mini Bill Callahan or Bill Callahan Jr. or whatever you want to say, if he's learned from Bill, they have a very successful program in Cleveland. You're not going to know about any of these guys or most of them. And the Bengals have a huge rebuild project on their hands. They're going to have to get their hands on a bunch of new guys and they're probably going to have to reteach a bunch of technique. And so if, if Peters is a technique teacher, if he's a technician, sure, I'm on board. The, the one name you mentioned that I find to be highly doubtful, I don't think there's much of a path for Frank Pollock to come back to Cincinnati. I would welcome it, but mm-hmm. it's not something that I see as likely. I, I, I'm just hoping that it's, you know, it's not another guy from Miami, right? I don't want anybody connected <laughs> to Turner and, you know, Adam Martin, Gase. No. <laughs> yeah, no, no, thanks. You know, <laughs> what about Doug Marone? Right. You know, what about, Anthony Lynn is, I don't know, he's a, he could, he could come in and be a run game coordinator kind of thing, but you know, you're keeping your offensive coordinator. So I don't know, Anthony Lynn probably doesn't work a lot of candidates. I'm sure we're going to hear something about it at some point, or maybe we'll, we'll hear nothing until they hire somebody, but we do know that they're in the market for a replacement. And I really like that idea for, for Scott Peters that came out. People were talking about on Twitter today. I'm here for Billy Price learning hand-to-hand combat. Just saying. Next question from Zach Taylor Fan Club, and he might have the best Twitter handle on the planet, at JakeNFLGoat. You have a fan, Jake, because you're Jake underscore NFL, at JakeNFLGoat. This guy thinks you're the goat, man. What's the question? I'll I'll react to that once you get me the question. Who are some possible teams – that could potentially trade up for the Bengals pick to select a quarterback. Who are some possible targets in the 10 to 15 range you guys like, if so? Yeah, I think looking in the probably 7 to 12 range is where I'm at. Maybe 15, New England down there, right? New England going up to get a quarterback. That could bring you a hull. Just going by the traditional draft trade chart here. This is from drafttech.com. The, the floor that I would look at for the Bengals is probably New England. Going past that on the list, you get down to Washington at 19. If Washington wants to go get a quarterback, that gets prohibitively expensive, I think, for them. You're talking multiple future first-round picks at that point, in my opinion. But going to five is a lot different than, than three or two, certainly different than one. The Bengals sitting at five. Let's let's start with 15, right? So that's a difference of 650 points on the trade chart. So if you're New England and you're trying to trade up 10 spots, you're probably going to have to give up your second round pick. That's 440. You still have to make up about 200 points. 
They don't have a third round pick this year. They lost it as part of a penalty and their fourth round pick is not quite enough. So you're looking probably first round pick, second round pick, future second round pick. If, if the Patriots tried to come up from 15, is that enough? Well, it probably depends on who's available, right? Like if both Chase and Sewell are gone and depending on how, how Waddle, depending on how Jalen Waddle for me personally, depending on how Waddle looks, if he plays in the championship game, is that enough to move you? Maybe looking at San Francisco at 12, I think that's another team that can move up for a quarterback. So could Denver, so could Carolina. Those teams all have a lot less ground to make up. That probably just nets you an additional second round pick, maybe a second and a fourth. So that's kind of where you're looking and you're deciding if the opportunity costs that the player that you could pick is worth the extra picks. And depending on who the player is, that could very well be the case because a lot of times in the draft, I've said this before, it's about the number of swings you take, not the the height of those swings, unless it's you're talking first overall for a quarterback versus six overall for a quarterback. The, the challenge here, because I'm all for trading back, and I think that Right now, the Bengals are at the at five, the top of like the second tier, if you're ranking the the tiers, and which is fine if you get it right, but you might be able to get the same player at eight or nine. But if you dropped all the way down to fifteen, you're talking about that next tier, and there might even be a tier in between that. But you, you're dropping down even another level, and, and you you just wonder if that's going to be enough. But if you could move back to 12 and get Slater or get Pitts or or heck, even, you know, maybe Waddle falls to 12. Who knows with that that scenario? I'm down, but uh, I, I'm not hell bent on that because, again, the Bengals need top talent anywhere they can get it. And, and they should be able to do that with the fifth overall pick. Up next, we'll get to more of your questions here on our midweek mailbag. But with the NFL playoffs here. There's only one place that has you covered, one place we trust here at Locked on Bengals. It's betonline.ag. You need to go there now. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag. Use the promo code Locked On. You're going to get a 50% welcome bonus. So maybe you like Chase Young in his matchup with the GOAT this weekend. You can bet on Washington. Let's say you like his alma mater, Ohio State, the Buckeyes in the national championship against Bama. You can bet on them as well in the national championship. Stop sitting on the sidelines. Get in on the action. And don't forget to use that promo code locked on at betonline.ag to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Get off the sidelines. Go there now. Betonline.ag. Betonline. Your online sportsbook experts. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Let's keep things rolling with the midweek mailbag and 
Jake, we have uh, almost a duplicate question here. It's Lorenzo Soros and Tyler Olson both asking about some of the top players in the draft. We'll we'll stick with Tyler's here, but they're both wondering about Jamar Chase and Penny Sewell. And so let's do run, pass, or boot, the G version. And I'm stealing this from Jake because I was going to do the, the R-rated version. But, you know, we, we got to save those ears out there. Run, pass, or boot, Jake. Penny Sewell, Jamar Chase, and Kyle Pitts. Yeah, so this comes from Hear That Podcast Growling. This is a Jay Morrison, Paul Daner innovation, uh, stealing from the Hear, that, hear the Bengal Growling, that you know, the, the, the fight song. Run, oh, pass, yeah. or Run boot. Run, pass, or boot. Yep. Yeah, the, the lyric there. So, uh, yep. you're, you're right, James. We, we do save F-bombs on this program, generally speaking, for Steelers-related topics. But when talking about Penny Sewell, Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts, Run, pass, or boot, this one is pretty easy, and that's the order that they're ranked for me. And uh, there's a bit of a gap there. So Penny Sewell is the guy that I'm picking ahead of Jamar Chase. The offensive line currently is in shambles. And as much as I love wide receivers and as much as I love Jamar Chase, you take the Cadillac option for offensive line prospect in Penny Sewell and and you run with it. And to do so, you got to pass on drafting Jamar Chase. That's, that's what you're giving up by running with Sewell at the fifth pick, saying they're both available there, for example. And then... If I'm picking at five, I'm kicking the can down the road. I'm, I'm booting Kyle Pitts, who I like as a prospect, but I don't like enough as a prospect to take him at five. You look at the history of top 10 tight ends drafted in the NFL, even, even top 15 hit tight ends drafted in the NFL. Here's the thing. First off, most of them take time. Most of them aren't productive right away, and... Some of them take three, four years. Some of them don't figure it out until the second contract. The other thing is you have to go back to the 90s before you find, uh, I think, all pro Hall of Fame, Pro Bowl kind of level tight end in the top 10, top five of the draft. I I went through this. I have a tweet on it a couple weeks ago when a lot of people were talking about Kyle Pitts. But if if it's Pitts, I'm kicking it because that means I'm, I'm taking it later in the draft. That means I've traded back and accumulated picks so that I can afford to take Kyle Pitts in the first round. It's funny because logic in the, the logic of drafting Penny Sewell with the fifth overall pick as the Bengals are presently constructed is a no brainer, no brainer. If he's there, take, but uh, there's a a couple of ways I want to attack this. The first one being, well, the Bengals better not be nearly as desperate in the offensive line room in April when the draft kicks off in Cleveland as they are right now. They better have addressed their issues. They, I, I don't give a damn because they don't know if Sewell's going to be there at five. So that's the first thing. The second thing, I'm going to treat this as prospects because I could easily have the exact same order as you, but level of prospects, I think Jamar Chase is the best pros- best prospect of the three. I do. Uh, is As productive as he was last year, 84 receptions, uh, I think 1,600 plus yards, 20 touchdowns, that I know for a fact. He was just field stretcher, just baller. And and so I'll go with him. Let's run with Jamar Chase. And we're going to be running that two-minute drill all day long because defenses shouldn't be able to keep up with Joe Burrow. Because, again, the offensive line should already be fixed by draft time, at least most of the way. I will uh, pass 
with Penny Sewell. He'll be second uh, on my list. And, and then I, I got to boot Kyle Pitts. And there is a scenario where I'm obviously fine with them picking any three of these guys in the first round. Sewell at five, if he falls, great. Jamar Chase at five, obviously. Kyle Pitts, like you said, kick the can down the road. If if they trade back to eight through 12, like in that range, I think Kyle Pitts should be in play. So that that's kind of where I'm at. So if any three of these guys are in stripes, fans should be excited. But it just depends on the scenario and what they do leading up to draft day. I think that's a good argument for Jamar Chase. The other way it could go is, you know, they they patch a couple holes in the offensive line and they bring in a Curtis Samuel or they shoot for the moon and they, they go get Godwin or they go get Allen Robinson or something. They blow our minds, right? They blow our minds. They go get Allen Robinson. And now taking a wide receiver here really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Our next question that we're going to take comes from Mason Stryker. This one might be a quick one. James, can you say something nice about Lou? Absolutely. Sweet Lou. Got a great nickname. Everybody calls him Sweet Lou, right? No, uh, the, the one nice thing I will say is um, he, I do think he got a decent amount for a stretch of games there after Joe Burrow went down, a decent amount out of the defense. And they were playing okay for a little bit and kept them in games, which is more than I can say for Zach Taylor's offense without Joe Burrow initially. Here's what I'll say. I, I'd say that the secondary actually played pretty well. He, he got Von Bell going in the right direction, especially in the second half of the season. Jesse Bates obviously played at an all-pro level. William Jackson and, and uh, Darius Phillips both had pretty good years. So the secondary played pretty well. The obvious flaw is the pass rush and the defensive line generally, the run defense. So there, there were some flaws, but the secondary played pretty well most of the year not counting the backups that, that were forced into action. I mean, those guys weren't so good, but the starters at least played pretty well. And the other thing is, you know, they, they did a pretty good job against Lamar Jackson the first time out. And I think a lot of that had to do with Lamar being hurt, but you give him some credit there and they did a good job against the Steelers the second time. So you give him credit there too. And uh, those are the nice things that I'll say about Lou. That also kind of goes into James McDaniel's question. Are there any current Bengals players top 10 in the NFL at their position? I think the one that you know for sure is Jesse Bates. The other ones that you could make arguments for are Tyler Boyd. If you limit it to slot receivers, you can make potentially an argument for Joe Burrow, but I think that's a bit of a stretch given that he didn't play down the stretch in the season. And I think there might be an argument to be made for Carl Lawson. Might be. I'm not exactly sure on that, but there might be an argument there. I think that one might be fringy. But I uh, just wanted to shout that question out before we get to the last question here, James. And Joe Mixon, he's still got to be in the mix. He might not be 10th, but he, he's still in the mix. OK, yeah, you're right. I mean, a healthy. I Joe know Mixon, running backs don't matter, but to you, but no, no, no. I, I think you're right. Uh, regardless of that, I mean, he just didn't play. So I kind of forgot about it. Right. And Samaj sure. Piran was really good compared to the rest of the Bengals. Samaj Piran was actually like their most effective running back this year. But that's a conversation for another day. Last question comes from Mike R. Martis. He says that the general consensus going into 2020 was that the roster isn't quite ready and that four to six wins was the most realistic outcome. I think that that, for me, stretched a little bit, James, to like four to eight wins or four to seven wins. But many people thought four to six wins. Vegas certainly set the line low, five and a half games, I think. 
they reached that threshold. They were they were right around that point, according to Mike, despite injury to Joe Burrow, and may have exceeded it had he stayed healthy. So given that, why all the calls for firings amongst fans and, and why all the negativity? Because when you win six games in two years, and by the way, I had them at seven and nine. And if you, you think back, to to some of the games they lost, they should have been seven and nine or around it, right? Six, nine, and one. Anything of that ilk. The Colts game, up 21. Zach Taylor gets tight, blows it. Anarumo's defense blows it. The next week, Anarumo's defense blows it against Cleveland. Zach Taylor only scores three points in the third quarter in a game that they were in control of. Those are two right there. That that doesn't count week one against the Chargers. Uh, that doesn't count any number of games that you could get into heck even after burrow went down right the the defense kept them in the against the giants uh they had a shot there and and the offense just couldn't do anything so the the frustration is you have a quarterback that from week 1 you knew was it and so when he led them downfield against the chargers i feel like expectations shifted a bit and then when he doubled down on that four days later against the Browns, I think expectations changed even more, even though they were 0-2. Because your quarterback was ready to win right now. Joe Burrow was ready to go. Like, you could put him on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or you could put him on Washington, or you could put him on, insert whatever team. The Dallas Cowboys would be in the playoffs right now if Joe Burrow was their quarterback for all 16 games. Like, he he was ready to go. So that's the problem, is everyone knew that week one. And he kept playing at a pretty high level. So expectations changed. And then it was the coaching staff that was holding this team back. Going into the year, no one knew what to expect. And it was like, oh, well, there might be some growing pains for Joe Burrow. And there was, but he was still keeping them in games and giving them a chance to win. And so I I think that's where expectations changed. And they changed relatively quickly because of how well Burrow carried himself and handled himself. Here's the thing for me. It's real simple. If you're expecting a team to win four to six games in year two of a head coach's operation, that's not good enough in the NFL. Turnarounds happen quickly. Look at Cleveland. They finally got it right. Right? They, they finally appear to, got, to have gotten it right. Sometimes they take a little bit longer. You can point to Sean McDermott in Buffalo finally getting that team and, and Josh Allen going the right way this year. Sometimes it does take a long time, but it can also happen quickly. And so if those are your expectations... And then honestly, you fall short of those expectations because, you know, despite the team winning four games, there are times that they look totally outmatched against some of the better teams they played. They did have quality wins and you credit them for that. But the the reason is, is that the the Vegas expectations don't matter. The expectation in the building is we're going to be a winning football team. And when, like you said, James, when you win six games in two years, that shouldn't be good enough for anybody. Zach Taylor will get another shot. You know, coaches aren't static. He could be improving. That's a great point that somebody made in my mentions today. I'm going to get his name because last time I mentioned somebody that told me something on Twitter, I didn't get his name. That was Corey Candle at Light the Candle on Twitter mentioned that, you know, coaches aren't static. It's a good point. Coaches can grow. They can learn. And I'm sure Zach is. It's just there's a long way to go, right? There's a long way to go. And there's going to be plenty of time to talk about this. We will get into it some more later this week. Perhaps we get some coaching moves announced. We'll get into it next week too, perhaps. Until then, Bengals fans, that does wrap up our Locked On Bengals mailbag for this week. Until next time, hootay and have a good one. 
Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.